again, there's a lot more focus on top of funnel, right? So there was a, a period where all of that would happen through efforts of you know marketing and inbound, etc. And mm -hmm. uh, we recently are getting more and more requests also to help with outbound. But you can become a lot smarter in your outreach, right? Um, and, and, and you can basically build smarter cadences uh, around your outreach that make that call, uh, I would say, more like a warm call than a cold call as it was in the old days. But I think yeah. um, at the end of the day, having that capability having that confidence um, to be able to reach out to someone that you haven't spoken to before is still a crucial element of the sales function at the end of the day. Welcome to Road to Revenue Leadership, a show that candidly explores how hard it is to create, build and scale world-class revenue organizations by leaders that have been there, done that and have seen the results. My name is Dylan Mendes, founding CEO of Usight, and I'm excited that you're tuning in to the podcast. If you're a fan of the show, make sure to subscribe and leave a review. Enjoy. Bart, for the people that don't know Bart van Eyck, um, you know, how would you like to introduce yourself to the audience? Right. So, um, uh, so my name is Bart van Eyck. I'm Dutch, uh, born and raised, I would say, probably in Rotterdam, uh, although I have moved around a little bit. Um, my, yeah, my, my career has been sales, uh, sales, marketing, some consulting. Uh, I'm a proud father of five, so I have a large family, lots of mouths All to right. Work. <laughs> Lots of mouths to teach and a cat and two dogs, so uh, it's a busy household. Um, I can say that. And um, and I love um, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm I, I love um, running uh, sports uh, in general. Um, love um, you know um, uh, anything to do with business or business economics uh, management. Uh, a very broad science fiction sailing have a very broad line uh, broad interests basically so uh, okay 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 yeah. a large family loves business loves a lot of uh, sports hobbies here and there so yep. uh, a very very good and busy life i can suppose hmm. yep <laughs> <laughs> all right well vart thanks for that introduction um of course in this podcast we we would love to deep dive in your road to revenue leadership and of course also get your learnings your failures your false beliefs that you had along the way sure and so Maybe just, you know, start wherever you want to start. But can you tell us more about your road to revenue leadership? Yes, absolutely. So uh, my road to revenue leadership probably started when I was 12, uh, when I needed money to buy my first computer, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> uh, which I can tell you, and I'm showing my age here at that time, was actually quite an expensive thing to, uh, to get your hands on um, and not very common. So, uh, so I did, uh, um, yeah, I, I found a lot of jobs basically, uh, to, uh, to fund, to fund my desire to get my hands on a, a personal. What was the first job career. then at the age of 12? Uh, so it was mostly washing cars, mowing lawns, um, you know, helping out in I shops, more too. Yeah. Yeah, 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 flipping burgers, of course, and uh, stuff like that. <laughs> so, uh, probably pretty, pretty much what it is today when you're, you know, I don't know, 12 or All 13 right. or 14. Yeah. So you started at, the, at an early age with certain needs, we'll call it like that. Yeah, and, uh, that's you right. And you found a way. You found a way to get the money, to get uh, I did, to, yeah. to acquire I did. the things and that you wanted. And that was my first big lesson in life. I did. I worked probably for a year to to get enough money to uh, to make the investment. And I'll never forget uh, that uh, I think it was probably two or three weeks after I had made the purchase. The model had gone out of style and so... Oh. This uh, new model came on the market, so the computer I bought was then reduced in price by fifty percent, which meant like a half year 
labor went out the oh, window. Oh gosh, <laughs> just like that. Dang. So uh, that's how you uh, that's how you learn, right? So uh, that's uh, yeah. And Make sure to keep uh, yeah. to, to be aware when the updates come out for sure. <laughs> so uh, so and then you know I you know moving on from that I uh, I did uh, uh, studies in uh, business administration, um, which basically groomed me I guess for uh, you know for a, for a, for well a life in business um, and I really you know, my my I think when we. Graduated, we had to do like an internship, and I uh, was asked together with a, uh, a colleague of mine to uh, write a strategic marketing plan for a technology uh, <laughs> importer, uh, import-export firm. And we yeah, really enjoyed did, that. Uh, is that sorry? also what gives you kind of an, an idea of what you would do after after doing Absolutely. your studies? Yeah, I would say that was probably quite pivotal because then I thought, oh, this is great fun. Um we need to do it. And one of the things that was fun about it is, um, you know, these guys imported hardware like network cards and hard disks, etc. And at the end of our internship, they said, okay, we've got a lot of, you know, stuff that's now outdated that we won't, don't want to have in stock anymore. So why don't you go and sell this to whomever, you know, in the market is interested in uh, taking these on. So uh, that's got us, uh, you know, that got us our first taste of uh, B2B selling, I would say. In, yeah. In perspective. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, I think that's so funny. That's it's always I mean, I hear that a lot. And if I look back at my own experience so far, um entering, you know, the sales context, the sales environment is just by some sort of coincidence. Yes, I studied business and yes, I was active in a student association where I did sales. Uh, but it's funny because it may if maybe if I had done, you know, something in finance or something in logistics, maybe I would still with the same mindset and perseverance and discipline gone into that field, but at the end time, I'm ending up in sales uh, because of that initial touch point. And so yeah. uh, funny that in some way in your context, it's, it has also now shaped your, what is it now, 30 years of, of career already? Yeah, so um, yeah, that's what it is. So You say it with a, oh, <laughs> what well, a, it's what a, long a, time, time, right? a lifetime. <laughs> you always think, think like, gee, um, you feel like uh, 25, but you're not quite 25 anymore. But uh yeah, but I like so that you still did, feel uh, like it, though. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. I do. I still do. So um, what I did after um, graduation um, is I joined an ERP startup firm in the Netherlands. Um, and I was, you know, we were a company of seven or eight. So it was a uh, small company. Um, and um, I was the sales guy uh, together with the commercial director. So we had great fun. Uh, trying to get some uh, uh, logos it's in. It's a good environment to to learn, also. No, absolutely. You have the direct yeah. mentorship. Yeah. yeah, I learned a ton, and uh, we landed one of the biggest deals, or probably the biggest the biggest deal of the you know in the in the lifetime of this company, uh, KLM Catering Services, and I was uh, very proud to be, uh, you know, to be doing that. But that also exposed me to uh, Hewlett Packard uh, and like American companies um and they were talking a lot about the company called gardner which i'd never heard of but found quite intriguing and magic quadrants etc and then at that time it was still uh, you know internet was still not quite um, uh, not quite uh, common right so uh, i read an ad in the paper and so i uh, from gardner and uh, uh for a job opportunity so i uh, called them and i uh, i got the job uh, after a couple of rounds and that's what really kind of kick-started my career, I would say, in sales in earnest, because until that time, I've been 
learning from books and you know from from my mentor mm. and um, you know in the business but now we were scaling these things up quite seriously and uh quite fast as well and i uh, you know i had the yeah, i guess the pleasure and uh, the 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 luck that i could uh, you know as Gartner was growing i could grow with the company and uh, because what was the initial role in within Gartner? Uh, I was an account representative, as they call it, right? Okay. So carrying the bag and uh, selling to mostly insurance and financial uh, companies in the Netherlands was my remit at the time. And uh, yeah, I did. Uh, I guess I did okay because they thought then uh, after a couple of years I should go and run, you know, um, a team, a small team, then a bigger team. And uh, I ended up running EMEA sales, uh, you know, which was a big corporate ro job, 24 countries, 500 salespeople. So, uh, yeah, a lot <laughs> of change there. A lot of I change. Th I think you I can say. When I, uh, and when I, uh, when I left, basically, yeah. I have, to, I have then to ask, uh, Bart, because if you, because yeah, Gartner, it's definitely not a small organization. And I think that you quickly took on a lot of responsibility. And so uh, I think also a very, very interesting period in terms of learning and growing and so if you look back at those years at Gartner you know what would you say that that's above all things is really the thing that I brought with me for the rest of my career oh I wouldn't know where to start but I would say because <laughs> it's it's really it's a very intense quarter to quarter environment right so um if you know so so in terms of the day-to-day yeah, the the sense of urgency and uh, you know that every second counts almost is something that you never uh, that never leaves you anymore, right? It is like this. This uh -huh. is. Uh, on the other hand, um, uh, Gartner, particularly um, later on in my career, became a very well oiled and well organized machine. I think it wasn't that when I joined, but it definitely became that uh, later on. And that's where I learned that if you have vision and if you have, um, if you set the parameters and you think about what you want to achieve, then you can actually plan for it, and uh, and 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 um, and get there, right? So, uh, so in terms of the, you know, going from individual contributor to working with a team to, yeah, becoming, I guess, a leader, uh, you know, that, that, that there are very distinct differences between those roles. Um, and I, you know, that was something that I wasn't aware of, of course, when I set my ambition mm -hmm. and, uh, told my, at that time, country manager that I wanted his job, uh, you know, at some point in time. <laughs> I was going to ask that question specifically. Yeah. About, is it, yeah. Is it them? Is it the team, the, the leadership team at Gartner that saw some potential in you and said, Bart, we need to sit down and, you know, talk your career path or did you come up with your own proactivity ah. and said you know what i i want to get there how do i get there what what are the steps that are required and yeah. you know how, how was that it, uh, in your it's case it's a bit of both i would say so it started off in the latter like me pushing and then at some point when you actually i guess deliver and the trust in the in the leadership team in you grows then 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 you get you get pulled into stuff and uh <laughs> And then you have to learn to say no as well, which is not easy, right? Because uh, you can be pulled in a lot of directions, and uh, yeah, mm. and, uh, that is also a risk. True. You need to need you need to know what you want out of your own life before you can say yes Absolutely. to certain things. Absolutely. Yeah. And so that's, yeah, that's very important. Two ways. How did you feel then? Because also, if you are a very very strong 
individual contributor doesn't mean that you will be a very strong leader. So it's, to some True. extent, they also had to challenge that in some way. Did you, yeah, yeah, did you yeah, remember yeah. how they did that in some way? Well, they, um, uh, there's lots of, you know, as you, uh, as you grow in your role, um, and Gardner was always quite careful with the first stages, right? So, uh, um, and they took their time in letting you get, you know, well, I guess adjusted to the situation. Um, so I guess that is an important factor uh, in terms of, okay, what is it that you're able to do? But then um, I think a lot of it is also w about, yeah, how do you challenge yourself, right? So, you you know, if you want to get to where you want to get to, you can't do what you've always done, right? Is, is you, have to, you have to change and you have to think about <laughs> what is it that in this particular role is important to change, is important to do that I didn't do previously, right? So when I got to ask to run, for example, a number of countries, um, you know, I knew that I needed to get, you know, put some kind of, put my arms around that organization and, and, and also make people feel that they could, first of all, trust me, of course, but they, you know, they would benefit from the fact that I would be, uh, you know, running that region. And so to do that, you need to have some level of vision uh, you need to think about values, what values are important for the team, etc. And most importantly, you know, you need to set direction, of course, right? So, uh, so that's those things you get taught. I got taught quite, you know, uh, yeah, quite overtly in Gartner. And so uh -huh. once you kind of start to grasp that and apply it and you see what the impact uh, it can have, then it's, yeah, that's, that's quite exciting. Mm -hmm. Was there a lot of competition also when you try to move up move up the ladder there is always competition um like in sales i never really worry too much about the competition i think if you trust in your own strength and you trust that you're doing the right things then typically things move in your direction right so uh <laughs> so i'm yeah that's more my kind of mentality yeah i feel that i kind of like that mentality it's yeah. not because your colleagues that all of a sudden, you have to go in competition to one another. You still work as a team. the funny thing is, you know, the guys and, and girls that I was in competition with, they most of them also did really well. And they found other jobs, some in Garner, some outside. So um, it's a big world, right? There's lots of opportunities. Yeah, the, I mean, there, yeah, the ocean is big enough. I mean, it is enough opportunities. It's big enough, yeah. Get there. Um, all right, so then you had... Um, your Gartner experience. Can you maybe also share, you know, the rest of your road to, uh, to yeah, Leadership? Yeah, of course. And actually, it's quite interesting because you asked, so, uh, you know, something about my personal perspective and and um, and, and and also some of the, um, yeah, some of the things that maybe, yeah, you had to, um, you had to change um, and, and, and realize when you move into a, a corporate job uh, like this, it's, you know, I flew to uh, Stanford every three months to report to the uh, operating committee, etc. There was lots of, um, yeah, lots of stuff that I needed to start doing that I enjoyed, but not as much as I used to when I ran with a team and uh, actually was out there um, uh, speaking with customers. Mm. Um, I traveled a lot. I was probably on the road, you know, three or four days a week uh, on average. And of course, you know, as I said in the beginning, we, um, you know, we had a, a quite a big family. So that became a challenge. My wife had her own business. 
uh, as well. Um, so we were, you know, we were stretched quite thin. And so the opportunity came along uh, to, um, yeah, to go and work still within a um, Europe, Middle East and Africa kind of remit, but then with a team that was um, a much smaller of size in a very different industry uh, with a company called Expedia, which you probably uh, know as well, right? And I could I've move, heard of it. <laughs> and we could move to to the UK as a result of this. So, um, so as you can imagine, during those last years in Gartner, the pressure was still, you know, on all the time. I was traveling more and more. Um, you know, personal life was, you know, was not maybe always what you'd like it to be. And so we collectively made the decision that this would be a really good thing for us as a family to do. And uh-huh. we made a call and we moved um, uh, jobs and we moved countries at the same time. So um, um, if you'd ask me now, would you do it again? I would probably think about it quite hard. Because <laughs> <laughs> again, that was not a small that was not a small thing, as you can imagine, right? Not for me, but definitely also not for for my wife and the and because the pre- previously you were then in the Netherlands going to the UK is that how yeah it was? I was that's that's where I spent most of my time because uh, the European and age. I can also imagine that you still had pretty young children back then as well we did yeah we did yeah, so, yeah so, still uh, had to find a school over there school really grow up over there as yeah. well yeah yeah so if you want to say so so I'm a curious guy right I like to learn and I like to try new stuff and you know yeah sometimes. And that's great, but you can also eat, sometimes chew off a bit more, more than you maybe bargained for. So uh, <laughs> that was a yeah, lesson that I learned for sure I can, over, the, over that period. I, I can definitely imagine that. That in some way it's also difficult for you because you have to, you are reinventing the new in a new environment and stuff like that. But also for your family, and you still have that responsibility over them as well. Of course, or at yeah. least that core core responsibility with your yeah. wife. So yeah, it's it's. Probably not as easy as it uh, as it sounds. I mean, it's easy to say yes, but then to make it happen and to go it's, through with it. It's a big, it's a big job. And what I also found was, um, you know, because I'd been with Gartner then for 16 years, so I'd been there for quite a while, right? It's also, then, you know, the, and the culture's both American companies, so I thought the culture would be quite similar, etc. But of course, the travel industry <laughs> is a very different business than the yeah. corporate, you know, white collar kind of uh, suit exactly. the industry of Gartner, right? So uh, so that was different. The industry was different. The uh, It was great fun, right? It was a, a fantastic. Both are fantastic companies to work for. Uh, but that transition oh, and understanding the, the, you know, the, the slang, you know, mm-hmm. getting to building up your network again. I knew pretty much everybody right. in Gartner, of course, uh, in, in, the, in that period of time. Then you go to a new job, a high-profile job, right, as well. And you need to establish yourself, and you need to establish your 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 internal network really, really quickly as well. Didn't they didn't they challenge you on that? That you weren't quite familiar with the industry yet, with the jargon, with you know everything also within the company. Yeah, of course. Yeah, and but at the end of the day, they um, they also recognized that what I could bring uh, to the organization, and I was uh, I worked in a division called affiliate network. Uh, which is basically the B2B part of the mm. media business. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and they were quite, how do you say it, new to the world of business-to-business selling. I mean, Expedia is, of course, known from its, you know, massive operation around selling to consumers. Um, right. And they have a big, uh, big group of people that work in basically selling hotels, basically procuring hotels, if you will. 
uh, infantry. But um, yeah, so um, when they were looking for someone to actually help them change up that uh, that environment in uh, in Amira, it resonated. That was quite a good fit. Yeah. What was then the the thought process you went through? I think you mentioned already some elements, but can you maybe bring us back to those days that you were thinking of maybe looking out for new opportunity and then coming across that opportunity at Expedia? What were then you know the thought process, the questions that you asked yourself to to make the decision? It's yeah, it's it, so one thing that I was really keen on doing is changing, changing my view, changing industry. I also at that time, so we're talking, um, you know, early tens, right? If you can call it that. So 2010, 11, 12. <laughs> um, internet, of course, had then by that time been established. Um, e-commerce was no longer a buzzword. It was actually happening. Uh, you know, Amazon, all those kind of things were happening. Companies like mm -hmm. Expedia and Booking were doing a lot of stuff, uh, you know, front, I would say front runners in terms of e-commerce as well. And in mm -hmm. my world in Gardner, I only called a whiff of that, right? It was only like, you know, well, you read about it and you'd hear about it, but you would not be, you would not understand it uh, necessarily from a experience point of view. And I thought that was really important uh, at, this, at that time, you know, back to my curiosity thing. Uh, is to actually, yeah, gain that experience and get access to that market. And so, uh, uh, yeah, so, and of course, there were other companies that were, that I was interested in, but that was, uh, you know, what made me uh, say yes. Mm -hmm. Was timing also a very important factor? Timing was important, you know, as I said, there were a lot of personal, uh, you know, I said, uh, um, things going mm -hmm. on that, uh, you know, that, that, you know, that push you in a certain direction. Um, you know, at uh, the time, uh, Gardner was doing fantastic. I was in really good position. So um, it was, um, in retrospect, uh, you know, uh, you could you could question whether it was a great idea to do this. Uh, <laughs> but I think, uh, you know, from a yeah fulfillment point of view, from actually, you know, having seen yeah what I've seen since, uh, yeah, it's it's been it's been fantastic. Yeah, and I think. Uh... I mean, you th I think you still worked for more than 10 years at Gartner, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I've seen a lot of changes over there. I think it also depends maybe on, yeah, what kind of environment you like to work in. As you mentioned, if all of, of a sudden it's being too structured, too systemized, it's too much of actually anything except maybe maybe bringing value, but more, you know, uh, going more on the risk uh, stuff of the business then. Yeah. And, and that's not for you then. I think it totally makes sense that yeah. you're kind of looking for a new, new, new opportunity, a new challenge. Maybe if you if you then uh, bring that experience from uh, from Expedia back uh, here on the table, you were the B two B sales guy, let's say like that. So what kind of you know visionary thing did you bring in on the table uh, in the business that yeah really changes uh, the the activity? Because I've seen on your LinkedIn, um, it's it's publicly in there, so I don't think I say anything wrong with with it. Uh, yeah. But you still increased thirty percent. Of the uh, of the revenue from 2012 yeah. to 2015, so I think that you did part something particularly interesting. That's maybe worth uh, mentioning here in the in yeah, the podcast. absolutely. And again, uh, you know, I will be the first to say that it was not me only, of course, right? So there is a there's a lot of factors that contribute to making growth like that happen. Probably the biggest single factor was the fact that um, Expedia at the time, I think, together with Booking, only owned six or seven percent of the global travel market. Right, and they were the 
at that point in time, the you know the two biggest players, they were the two biggest spenders on on Google uh, globally, right? In terms of ad spend, etc. And they could only capture six or seven percent of that market. So, uh, you know, so the first thing, as you say, is that Expedia, uh, you know, management or leadership, when they realized, hey, we got three percent of the market, meaning there is another. 97 or uh, um, uh, yeah, 97 percent out there to to be had. Uh, we can either grow organically or we can see if we can tap into that in some other way. What they came up with the notion of actually um, taking that hotel booking engine and giving it or making it available to anybody who had traffic uh, that could convert was mm-hmm. probably you know the the first and foremost the most intelligent idea uh, to actually do. Um, when I joined, uh, the operation was already uh, quite nicely on the way. And what I think um, I managed to contribute to it was, um, you know, first and foremost, uh, building a sales method into the organization, which is, you know, we will come back to value setting later, but that was a big, uh, <laughs> I think, a big component of it. Um, uh, we also had to rationalize who we go who we go after right so at that point in time we had an open api anybody that you know wanted to get access to that api just had to drop in their email address and they would get the documentation and they'd be on their way and so i think the uh, affiliate network at at the time when i joined had like i don't know 15000 affiliates but of course only 100 of those affiliates actually produced anything useful and the rest was just a lot of uh, noise and actually also quite a lot of work so 2080 rule again so we were, yeah, it was a bit more extreme than 2080, but it was, yeah, oh. it was, <laughs> it was kind of like that. So I did, you know, I worked with him, with the team to rationalize that, um, uh, figure out, okay, what is our, uh, you know, what's ideal customer profile? What, you know, who do we actually want to have in, uh-huh. the, in the mix here? Um, and then. Was that actually um, your yeah. first? Because hmm? obviously we'll, we'll come back on, on the topic of uh, value selling, but was that. Also, the the first time, your first touch point with the the methodology behind value selling, uh, or did it start at Gartner? Yeah, it was Gartner. So my first my first week in Gartner, I uh, I was flown to Stanford, Connecticut, and I got uh, uh, trained in value selling by the founder of value selling at the time, a gentleman called Lloyd Zappington, who oh, introduced right. us into the whole um, methodology, and I think it's been the household methodology for Gartner for, I mean, 20 years or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I tried plenty of others, uh, plenty of other uh, sales methodologies, spin selling, solution selling, uh, Miller Hyman, you know, all kinds of other mm-hmm. uh, sales methodologies that are out there uh, and uh, all have good, uh, really good uh, and strong points. I'll be the first to say, but yeah, my first experience was uh, with value selling was in Gartner and then I subsequently hired them uh, a couple of times in other roles that I had um, and saw what impact it would have if you get not just sales, but also other parts of the organization aligned around, uh, you know, how you approach your customer. Interesting. Obviously, you might be a little bit biased in the in the answer of my, my next question, but if you have tried out the different methodologies, you know, why sticking then with value saying, or what was different with the other methodologies? Is it... Also, maybe depending on context, yeah, sales environment, culture, on where you are as a business, right? Depends mm. on what you're looking for. Depends on what type of business you're in, right? So, uh, 
I'm sure you were, you know, you're familiar with Challenger Sale, uh, you know, the sales uh -huh. methodology from, from, from Challenger. Um, it's, um, you know, which is also a very strong, uh, approach. Um, if you look at where you can apply that particular approach, yeah, it's probably better in, I don't know, um, in, in areas where the salesperson has to be the expert to convince the customer than it mm -hmm. is elsewhere. And you could argue that maybe that is the case in more and more areas. Um, I think that is also, um, the challenge with the challenger sale is that you know that that, <laughs> that a lot of customers don't feel comfortable uh being challenged mm -hmm. right and 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 more importantly a lot of salespeople are very uncomfortable challenging a c-level uh you know a ceo or a coo or cio right. on their beliefs right that's a that's a tall order so uh, mm -hmm. yeah but I again think that, you look at style. other techniques and there's lots of them out there now you know gap selling uh, Winning by Design, uh, Sanderson, you know, with the, there is a ton it, yeah. of them out there. <laughs> a lot of them are similar to what value selling uh, uh, does in the sense that they are much more focused on customer need, understanding the customer need and addressing that need, I would say. Uh, mm -hmm. then, uh, then yeah, customer-centric selling, another one also. Yeah, yeah. I feel yeah. like that often, yeah, they, they all mean the same thing. They just phrase it differently. Yeah, true. True. And then I think the more, for me, the more important element is the application and the applicability of the approach, uh -huh. right? Um, how easy is it to get the organization to adopt it, right? Because at the end uh -huh. of the day, when you roll out or when you introduce a new way of working, then you're transforming, then you're changing stuff and change is exactly. not easy, right? So how do you make it happen? And then and I think that's probably the, you know, the kernel where I think value selling is actually quite uh, good and actually uh, making that happen for a number of reasons. All right. I, I, supp I, I suggest we come back to that because I'm, I'm definitely sure. curious on the, uh, yeah. the adoption and implementation aspect of it. Sure. Um, but I don't think we are done yet with the uh, road to revenue leadership. <laughs> so maybe take us back. Uh, you can make it as short as, or as long as you want. It doesn't really matter. But just to get a, a, a real a complete picture of your sure. road to revenue leadership. Yeah, so after no, Expedia I'll, Group. I'll walk you through what I, what I did subsequently. So I worked for Expedia for three and a half, four years. Um, then uh, I got the opportunity to work for a startup, uh, which again, you know, I've done corporate, I've done travel and internet related uh, kind of uh, business. And then the startup came along in social media monitoring uh, and they needed someone to help them set up their sales organization because they didn't have one. It was mostly founder led. Um, so I helped them set that up. Um, then I moved into, a, uh, another, I would say, um, yeah, transition transformation role, which was with, with a company called global data, uh, uh -huh. which is like, um, uh, a gardener for market data and analytics, uh, I guess you could uh -huh. call it. And the CEO of that business, uh, asked me to join because he said, we're going to be doing a lot of consolidation we're going to be help bringing a lot of new businesses in and i want us to be sure that we don't focus on our existing clients and we keep that ship steady in fact i want it to continue to grow as we bring all those other uh, uh companies in yeah how, how was that like because indeed if you have those different companies with different processes different methodologies perhaps how do you then try to i mean yeah maybe can you share maybe a bit about that experience 
Yeah, it was it was great fun. It's a lot of um, um, uh, a lot of it is is to do with um, uh, I think we integrated five or six companies in a period of like a year and a half, two years. Um, and so again, for me, it was really important, and I made that actually, um, uh, you know, a uh, uh, how do you say it, a, 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 a you know, quite important element of me taking a role on is that we would have that common language and we would have a common approach. Yeah. So I actually said, okay, I'm happy to take the role. It sounds really exciting, but I want to make sure that I have the budget and the and the freedom to actually make uh -huh. you know build that uh you know uh, build that platform and build that uh, common right. language across the different organizations and departments was uh, it also in that consolidation where, where the companies were they complementary to each other or were there also sometimes overlapping business activities they were mostly complementary mostly complementary okay. so imagine that um there is like a uh, a company that is focused on gathering data from soda and software drinks. Then there is a company that's gathering data on building and projects. Then there is a company that's gathering data okay. on healthcare and medical devices, etc. So they're mm -hmm. very distinct target audiences. So the, also the, um, you know, the um, uh, so the sales teams would be very distinct. Uh, you know, the knowledge in-house, the, you know, the consultants, the project mm -hmm. managers, the analysts, you know, so there was very little, I guess, in, in terms of overlap stuff there. What we also found out, which I was, you know, what, which, which, which I was a bit disappointed with, there wasn't that much overlap in, you know, for the customers either, right? So if I was buying this particular set of data from global data, would I mm -hmm. be interested in procuring, I don't know, tourism information as well? Probably not, right? So mm. the cross-pollination was a bit more, yeah, I would say. Yeah. Linked in the end. Gotcha. All right. So then you, uh, if I'm not mistaken, you also uh, co-founded uh, an own startup, right? Yeah, I did. Yeah. So we uh, actually, that job at Global Data was at the time when my wife and, uh, and uh, three of our kids moved back to the Netherlands because of schools, because of, I guess, social factors. And, uh, and so I still had my two oldest to graduate. So... I needed to be there for another year anyway. And so this was actually quite a good interim thing uh, from that perspective. Okay. Um, but yeah, I got in touch with an old acquaintance who had, you know, built up lots of startup businesses and scale-up businesses, et cetera, uh, over time. Mm -hmm. And he approached me, he said, you I'm really um, looking for someone to help me, uh, you know, uh, pick pick up this business idea and 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 run with it, and uh, basically build up a company around it, etc. So, uh, so I was very flattered because how was do you amazing. come from corporate environments where you literally yeah. speak of turnover above, yeah, around the, the almost billion, yeah. to then say, all right, you know what? I know I have a gap here or something. I'm just gonna co-found something and we'll make the best out of it. How do you <laughs> to make that happen? That's why I still feel 25 sometimes, right? So it's a, <laughs> it's probably- I love it. Yeah, well, it was it was great. Um, it was a great, uh, and, and you're gonna laugh when you hear what happened, but it's, because uh, it's one of those, you can't, yeah, you can't make this up, right? Uh, kind of story. So we, so the idea behind the business was um, that we were gonna help um, parcel delivery companies with the last, well, not even mile, but the last couple of hundred meters, okay? So at okay. the time that we had these conversations, it was 2019, um, and in the Benelux, about 25% of 
parcels were not delivered at the door. Um, and that mm -hmm. caused lots of friction in the system, lots of extra cost. Uh, you know, there was a limited number of drop-off points. Customers were getting very irritated uh, by this, uh, mm -hmm. et cetera, right? So, um, so my partner had come up with this brilliant idea as to how to solve that with technology, uh, which I won't go into into too much detail, but uh, actually it was quite a neat, uh, a neat uh, solution. And mm -hmm. uh, we built it um, in India, where the development team uh, that was part of his bigger remit was was, was based. Um, we found some some uh, some interest in the market with the main players in at least in the Netherlands, DHL and Post uh, PostNL. Mm -hmm. And um, about a year in, we were ready to kind of roll out, and we had a test site uh, south of Rotterdam, ten thousand addresses where we we're gonna roll this out. And by All then right. it was April. 2020 and um, oh i see <laughs> COVID <laughs> hits. Oh. and i uh, i got a call from dhl saying hey bart uh, you know our drop rate has has just gone up to 100 percent as covid has now made it that everybody has to be at home so we're going right. to postpone this test this pilot let's say mm. for half a year and then maybe we can look into it again so i thought uh, it would be a, an amazing opportunity like boosting business activity but yeah as it was still a pilot project, people say, yeah, not a priority for the moment. I just put it on the side. Because this is these are very operational businesses, right? And, and rightly so. So they they uh -huh. have to you know get stuff out out, and so the even to get them to agree with making this bandwidth available pre-COVID was hard enough as it was. But then uh, yeah, there was just no way they were going to do it. No and of chances. course, the half year became a year, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So. Uh, so sadly, we uh, you know we did try to pivot with our uh, technology and see if we could find another use for it. Uh, uh -huh. but at the end of the day, we uh, decided that we would put our efforts into other greater things and move on from there. So that was a bit disappointing, um, you know, very costly and uh, very time-consuming. But uh, yeah, great learning. Yeah, um, in the end. So well. how long did you did you yeah try to get it then? Uh, out of the ground. So uh, we year? started it, uh, the exercise in 2019 and we're actually winding it down, uh, you know, now. So it'll be four years or close to four years. Yeah. Wow. All right. And then you said, all right, this is not going to happen. So I'm going to do something else. Yeah. And which then is I had what the, you're doing, right? I had the option to go for, uh, yeah, what I've always done, a corporate leadership role um, or uh, or do mm. what I did uh, and join value selling. And so um, um, so I sold about that long and hard. Um, and to be honest, at the end of the day, because I had done so many, I'd, I'd been in so many industries with so many businesses doing what I did right. um, at various levels. I'm like, okay, if I do this again, then, you know, I'm, how am I going to get my excitement up? And how am I going to... Uh -huh you know, get really kind of, um, you know, um, uh, gun, gun for it, right? And mm -hmm. so um, I thought, okay, if I go and do, um, you know, take this partnership with Value Selling, I can actually still work with lots of different businesses. So there's lots of varieties, lots of different environments to work with. Um, I can hopefully share some common sense and some good thinking of stuff that I've learned over the years, <laughs> which, you know, maybe someone will think hey, that's actually quite neat. And um, and I can you know I can also keep the the family side of things uh, you know um, in in a, in a uh -huh. good stage at least you know that's the idea 
in terms of your, uh, you know, I guess your work-life balance or whatever, if you want to call it that, right? So I uh, think, yeah, more in control, at least, let's say, of your own yeah, yeah, wishes yeah. and, and yeah, want. Yeah. Because, you know, if I, and that's just a trade, if I go in, I go in all the way, right? So it's not 200%. like we're doing this like half-baked and, you know, <laughs> so it's... Uh, so it's and and even now it's yeah it's 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 with value selling it's we're now two and a half years in you build uh-huh. up your network you build up your competencies you build up your uh, I guess your brand uh, which is why you know it's so great to do things like this as well well happy happy um, to do so Bart <laughs> <laughs> no, no yeah but maybe is, let's you know, let's you, you think that you think everybody knows you. You think everybody knows what you've done? Of course not, right? I mean, it's a big world out there, and there's, um, you know, the the people that are now, you know, in control, that are now kind of, you know, uh, uh, the decision makers. You know, they were not the people that were in my network, or you know, the decision right. makers 15 or 20 years ago, right? So things evolve really fast, mm-hmm. and so you have to stay current, and you have to invest in uh, kind of, you know, keeping the profile up. Yeah, well, I like that. Uh, that's that vision, that philosophy of. Let's call it lifelong learning. Yeah. Um, but maybe, yeah, bring us in these in this value selling story because I guess that a lot of people have already heard it, are familiar with the methodology, but still I think also plenty of people um, are not still quite aware of what the methodology yep. or, or, or how it is built, you know, what's the framework behind yeah. it, what's the ideology yeah. behind it. So maybe, uh, yeah. you know, you can... Kind of well, explain maybe to start with, right? So there's lots of um, lots of new uh, and, and really uh, good techniques nowadays, as well. Uh, that and some of them I use. You know, some of the latest. Uh, you know, I try to read and keep up with. Uh, you know, with the, with all the developments. Uh, of course, it gets harder and harder, like with music, right? To come up with something original. At some point, you know, everything has tried everything. Everybody's tried exactly. everything. But yeah, the environment, the uh, you know, the world that we live in, things change around it, and so you have to adopt and uh, you know, and and go with. It. And uh, and what I um, you know, one of the elements that I think is still uh, you know maybe even more relevant than it has always been is trust, right? So trust between the person that is looking for a solution, and the person that's offering that solution. And um, the nice thing that I um, you know always found with applying um, an approach like value selling is that it's really based on building that trust and it's really based on actually understanding your 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 clients or your prospects motivation Mm -hmm. more than anything before you go into actually okay well let me tell you what we've got right and so um giving that nugget to salespeople uh, uh around the globe basically is already uh, quite is still quite an eye opener, funnily enough, uh, if you call it that. <laughs> but if I talk to sales leaders and um, uh, even company leaders, then the other thing that I find, and I, I mentioned that earlier, that is even uh, probably even even as important, is that this is not just the sales function that you need to uh, influence and change on that, but it is the yeah basically everybody that touches a customer, as I always like to put it, right, it needs to be in that same mode of thinking uh, and needs to be appreciative of, you know, what is it that is actually behind mm-hmm. the question, right? What is it this customer actually trying to achieve rather than uh, just blurting out here the three great things that we can do and, you know, why don't you go and try it, uh, basically. Right. And even if you look at nowadays, of course, you know, it's a lot more buyer-led, right? So the whole 
ecosystem of selling has changed um, incredibly, right? I mean, it's, it's... I wanted it's, to ask you that. I wanted yeah. to ask you that, especially with all those existing methodologies to come back on, you know, uh, enumerating all of those that exist. Yeah. Um, when you see that, indeed, we're entering environments where it's much more bio-led, where technology replaces a lot of salespeople, how do you still try to find a balance between, yeah, the core fundaments of those methodologies, yeah. but still make it up to date to the times of today? Yeah. Well, I think it's even more relevant now than it has ever been because at the end of the day, because the buyer is doing a lot more homework themselves and they are actually, you know, looking, well, basically mm -hmm. using sites like, you know, Gartner and others to compare and contrast, uh, you know, options. At the end of the day, when they then finally get to the point that they say, okay, we want to have a conversation, we want to actually see how this would work. Um, then, uh, you know, um, yeah, if you, if you then fall on your face and it's, you know, then it's, that's a that's an even bigger shame, right? Because then all that investment that has already been done by marketing and all parts other parts of the business just goes to waste. Okay, so mm -hmm. um, so I think it is even more relevant for um, people that are customer facing to actually acknowledge that um, that need or that uh, that 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 solution that the customer has in is in in mind versus uh, you know leading with uh, with your solution or or product as such. Mm -hmm. Do you work? Because I think that's that's a, a trend that we have seen in the US for maybe quite a while now and that I think is entering now also the, the European continent. Uh, but you see roles such as chief revenue officer popping much more than, than ever before. Yeah. And yeah. I think it makes sense. It's also, just like you said, any customer facing... Absolutely. And uh, yeah, employee, you know, needs to also be part of this thinking of this... Uh, I'm not yeah. going to say methodology framework, but yeah, this thinking and this philosophy that sales is not everything, but everything everything is sales or there's a quote such such like it, you know, it probably much better than I do. Um, but so, yeah, you see, is that also then the people you work with mostly? Yeah, it's 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 actually a broader and broader remit, I would say. So uh, I ran a, a workshop a month or two ago uh, where the um, the sales leader of that organization was in a software banking um, uh, kind of environment said, okay, I, I want to expand this, you know, this, this, this to, um, you know, the, the project management, the um, people that are in uh, pre-sales, the, the specialists, the uh, program managers, so that everybody understands how we are looking at uh, a customer and uh, how we communicate with the customer. And... Um, I haven't actually told you, but, you know, value selling, a lot of what value selling is, is actually communication is about how do you have that conversation with your customer. And within that context, you build certain questions and there's a question technique behind it that you develop. And actually having that, applying that to a much broader group than SEC, the sales organization, also helps, you know, for people to kind of, you know, come you know, become kind of, you know, on the singing from the same hymn sheet, as they say. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think it's, you know, if you look at it from a from a project point of view or from how do you approach, uh, you know, um, uh, a, a project or an RFP or an RFI or whatever you want to call it, then everybody also starts to look through the same lens as to how do we address this customer uh, and, the, mm -hmm. and the stakeholders within that account. So that's, uh, that's quite powerful. Interesting. Looking back at your own experiences with, with those different clients, different projects, where do you see that that's the, the number one thing that people struggle with or find the most value out of your your teachings? Ah, okay. 
I think it is still uh, making that connection, okay? So, I mean, there's lots of parts of the sales cycle that are hard. What I noticed recently is that, uh, um, again, there's a lot more focus on top of funnel, right? So there was a, a period where all of that would happen through efforts of, you know, marketing and inbound, etc. And mm -hmm. uh, we recently are getting more and more requests also to help with outbound uh, again, which I find quite uh, quite intriguing, right? So there's like a, a bit of a, how do you say, the wave uh, continuum so, here, so to speak. Yeah, I, I think I understand that, especially, maybe I should ask that question to you first. Do you think cold calling, dead or prime years to do it? No, I think it is very much alive. I think it's uh, it's very important to, for different reasons, um, you know, and I wouldn't, maybe cold calling is no longer the right term for it because I don't think that, you know, um, at the end of the day, cold calling as such was, you know, was super effective, right? If you, um, and, and- It's and, not and, pure and, cold, no. Yeah, and dealing, I, I guess, dealing with the um, the negativity of it is, is, is also not a great motivator, right? At the end of the day. Mm -hmm. um, but you can become a lot smarter in your outreach, right? Um, and, and, and you can, basically builds smarter cadences uh, around your outreach that make that call, uh, I would say, more like a warm call than a cold call as it was in the old days. But I think yeah. um, at the end of the day, having that capability, having that confidence um, to be able to reach out to someone that you haven't spoken to before is still a crucial element of the sales function at the end of the day, right? If you don't, if you're, if you're worried about talking to someone, then you You've probably done the right job, basically, I would say. <laughs> I 100% agree with you. And also, I think, at least for the moment being, uh, I think it's also a very hard thing to to automate, which makes it by definition then also very one-to-one, -one, authentic, you know, just Absolutely. true human-to-human -human connection. Yeah. Yeah. And ultimately, if you want to create trust, I think that's the thing that you should do. That's where the so trust or happens. I think all college is going to go up, actually, with yeah. time. Yeah. And to come back to your question about, you know, automation and, and, and things becoming more and more, how do you say it, um, um, pre-planned, if you will, right? Yeah. So the, the buyer journey and all that stuff. Um, we can see from the research from, you know, McKinsey's and the gardeners, et cetera, that, <laughs> you know, that we've all seen that, yeah, the buyer wants to have fewer human interaction, wants to do their own homework before they actually engage, et cetera. I just think that, and, and I think I made this point, that just makes it even more crucial that you're ready when you are and then have that opportunity, right? Because uh -huh. and, unless you're selling paper clips or stuff like that, is if software like most of my customers, like the, you know, the, um, um, mm -hmm. the bulk yeah. of my clientele look like, the, yeah, they sell complex solutions, complex from, not from, you know, necessarily from, that it's so bloody complicated to uh, to build, although sometimes it is, but also in terms of how do you roll it out into an organization that already has... How do you get the most out of it, yeah. Exactly, right? And that's, that's where you need to build that trust and that's where you need to, you know, really focus on, okay, what is the need that I can address and how do mm -hmm. we address it properly? Uh, it's so important. Yeah. yeah. I think the trend is maybe that it's more in terms of the buyer than it is on, in terms of the yeah. salesperson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you have to choose the yeah. So timing is then depending on the buyer, and you just have to to stand ready and and be there with the right material at hand and the right and communication techniques. And to be ready techniques. means that you have to be 
doing this all the time, right? And therefore, it is. I think to your point of yeah, yeah, outreach. I think is a you know it's is very much uh, still there. And now post COVID, we also have events coming back. We have more and more, uh, you know, the trade shows, etc. So again, right, so that and uh, also there you need an, you need to know what to say when you when the moment arrives, right? So uh, exactly, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, Bart, we're almost reaching the end of the of the podcast, but uh, earlier we, we we touched on the topic of the adoption and implementation of value saying being easier, uh, or at least in your opinion, than than any other methodology. Mm-hmm. So maybe to before we we end up and round up this discussion, maybe can you share a bit about how is it and because I think that adoption and and maybe in the bigger sense of the of the word, it's it's change management. So how do you or out of your experience, how do you think you make that happen uh, the best as, yeah. as possible? Thank you for the question. It's a great question. The the um, you know the challenge I've always had when um, when I either got a training or when I asked a company to deliver a training is to make it stick, right? And so uh, every VP of sales or chief revenue officer or chief sales officer that I speak with, and you ask them, okay, uh, you know, is there anything about this? Uh, this program that you're looking to undertake that makes you uncomfortable, it's always about adoption. It's always about, okay, are people actually gonna, are they really gonna take it on or not? <laughs> and so um, one of the strong elements and you know, one of the reasons why I actually decided to go with value selling is because the approach is actually really straightforward. It's, uh, it's uh, um, without going into too much detail, it basically helps you to, you know, to, to plan and deliver that uh, conversation with your prospect in a way that you can manage, that you can oversee, uh, that you can debate pre and post the customer meeting with your peers, with your manager, uh, and therefore, you know, it's very uh, applicable. Very pragmatic. Uh, a lot, yeah. yeah, a lot of sales techniques or are around... Um, uh, well, you know, are, are, are around. You know, is this really a uh, really an opportunity or not? Is this, you know, so there are techniques like band and medic out there, etc., that really kind of you know help you to say, okay, you know, where does it sit in the in the pipeline, right? But value it's more selling the communication, means, less uh, qualification. Yeah. Sorry, less maybe on the communication yeah, itself. Exactly, this takes it a step further um, and helps you to. You know, to actually qualify out maybe sooner than you would otherwise do, uh, but mm-hmm. also um, you know maintain that healthy dialogue with different parts of the business uh, into that account. And so, um, when we look at the learning journey, we always look at the top management, management, and individual contributors, and how do you actually get them to all mm. take away as much as they can from from the basic elements. More importantly, how do you then build a, a cadence that you start to apply it and that you actually start to become comfortable with it? Because mm-hmm. you, can't, you know, even though it looks quite straightforward on the face of it, to actually apply it properly, like everything, you know, like any anybody knows, you want to be good at something, you have to do it over and over and over again to hone your skill, right? So this is no different exactly than, uh, than that. Uh, the the positive point I think is because it's very uh, you know, applicable, you can grasp it quite easily, then the adoption <laughs> rates are typically much higher than you would have with other uh, types of 
uh, yeah. training or uh, there's there's a quote like that. It's because uh, it's follow simple skills, fancy fails. <laughs> like if you want to make it too complicated, it's, it's, it's just true. doomed to fail. It's and true. Right? Actually, you just want to keep it simple. Yeah, and that's, and that way. is not easy, right? That's a, as we all know. When you try and keep it simple, then then, exactly. then then it becomes really complicated, right? Because there is all these <laughs> other factors that you want to take into account. So uh, yeah, that's I think is probably boils it down to the essence. All right. Well, thanks for that, Bart. Thanks for sharing your road to revenue leadership. Thanks for sharing your uh, experiences in uh, in the value selling methodology. Um, if people want to find out more about you, about maybe the value selling methodology, value selling associates, uh, where would you like to send them to? Uh, well, they can send me an email at bart at valueselling.com. That's probably the quickest. So, uh, uh, Or they can check out the website, valueselling.com, of course. All right. Awesome. Now, Bart, one last question, a question I ask all my guests. And the question goes as follows. So if Bart would be a brand, what would it stand for? Ah, what would it stand for? Uh, <laughs> I would say, <laughs> I would say uh, it delivers what it says on the tin. That's what it would say. It delivers for. what it says on what? On the tin, on the on the packaging. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. All right, I love it. <laughs> Again, it comes back to uh, to the element of trust, I would say. Yep, very true. <laughs> All right, I'll take that as an answer. Bart, thank you so much. Wish you nothing but the best, and uh, and see you soon. Thank you, Dylan. Take care. That's it. We have once again reached the end of an episode. I just really appreciate you all spending the time. If you like what you heard, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Until next week with a fresh new episode.